I will say that uh, I often don't get that distracted when I teach anything, whether it's a children's sermon or a sermon, but when Adam Gatson comes at you down the middle of the aisle, there's a little bit of an intimidation factor there that out of the corner of your eye, you're like, what did I do wrong? Maybe it's his guilty conscience, I don't know. Uh, but if you would, please turn to Joshua, Joshua chapter 20. We're going to be reading chapter 20 and chapter 21 this morning as we continue our journey through this wonderful book. Uh, as I said earlier, it was a great week at camp. Thank you so much for praying. Um, we had just a blast. Um, but more than that, um, we know of at least four salvations that the Lord did while we were there, and we are thinking that there are probably many more than that um, as God worked in our midst and just excited to be able to, uh, to see that happen and to watch uh, lives changed. And uh, I'll tell you about one, one young man in particular that was kind of a, a fun part of my week. Um, it was a little boy that I've actually known since he was born, uh, and I, his best friend was there, and uh, we had a service where we talked about the amazing grace that God has shown us, and I'm sitting there talking with another individual, and we're kind of talking about just how cool that is, and uh, his best friend walks up and says, Brian, and I said, yeah, and he said, uh, Micah's outside, and he's upset, and I don't know how to fix it. Could you come fix him? And I'm like, well, I don't know that I can fix anybody, but we'll go talk. And sat down by that little boy, and this is what he said. I said, what, what's, what's wrong? Why are you upset? He said, I'm not upset. I'm just, I don't even know what I am. He said, but it's, I just keep thinking about how awesome God is, that he's given me a great family, he's given me a great church, he's given me great friends, and he saved me. And I'm like, man, I hope you never lose that. There's nothing to fix here. Um, and so we got to talk about that, and man, I pray that that would be our testimony this morning as well, that we would talk about all the many blessings that he's given us and the faithfulness that um, he has had to us, especially in our salvation, that we would be overwhelmed um, by that reality. Um, but it was a great week. Thank you for praying. Um, but we are excited to be back and uh, to be able to be with our church family this morning and to worship with all of you. And so hopefully by now, you have found Joshua chapter 20. We're going to read all of that chapter in the first few verses of 21. So if you would please stand with us that we would honor the reading of God's word this morning. Joshua chapter 20 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Karath Arba 
that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, and beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bazir in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Continue on through chapter 21. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Father, what a, what a wonderful thing it is, Lord, to be able to come into the, this place with these people, to know your presence, to be reminded of your compassion and grace and your justice, to be reminded of your desire to dwell with us. Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that we would hear its truth. Lord, that it would encourage us and that it would challenge us. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've talked, if, if you have been paying attention, our main title, our unchanging title for this sermon series through Joshua has been God's faithfulness. His faithfulness in a whole host of different things, whether it be God's faithfulness in trying times or God's faithfulness when we disobey or God's faithfulness in the impossible we have been looking, trying to find God's more about God's faithfulness. But what really is faithfulness? When we talk about faithfulness in people, often we're talking about loyalty. And we use it often in marriage, right? The idea of someone being there and not straying from one place to another. But when we think about faithfulness, really, when we, when we dig into that a little deeper, it's the idea of a consistent and unchanging pattern of actions and attitudes. And man, do we see that in God. He is faithful. He is unchanging in his actions and his attitudes towards his people. He desires to know them. He desires to be known by them, and he will go to any lengths to keep his promises to them, to make sure that they are cared for. But at the same time, he demands that faithfulness in return, that we too would be loyal, that we too would desire him and not stray to the left or the right that we too would follow him at all costs. It's a two-way street. 
Certainly, this is why marriage is so important. Because it's a picture of that relationship between God and His people and this this covenant that is made and the faithfulness that we are to have to one another. As we look at chapters 20 and 21, what we see is a continuation of that faithfulness. And especially in God's desire to be among His people and for them to reflect who He is to the rest of the world. We find it first as we go through our passage here in chapter 20 in the cities of refuge. Now, if you back up to Numbers and Deuteronomy, you're going to find the kind of initial command that God has given to Israel for these cities of refuge. The idea behind these cities was so that Israel would be a land of justice. Up until this point, um, if you traveled around that area in the Middle East and you watched how things would occur, you you would see that when someone died and was and died at the hands of another whether it was an accident or not that there would be a family member a a blood avenger is sometimes how you see it phrased sometimes you see it phrased as kinsman at redeemer uh, if you hear that term and that rings a bell that comes out of Ruth and Boaz and that there was a much uh, much more brutal responsibility that they would have had to go and to avenge the death of a close family member. And so they would pursue that individual and they would strike them down, they would kill them. The problem was, is this led to a not an unending cycle of violence. We're going to talk more about that here in a minute. And so God's desire was for Israel to be a land of justice, but to be a land that was noticeably different. Israel... Had a, he, instead, Israel had a system where, especially if an individual struck a person down, but it was an accident, it was what we would call manslaughter. It wasn't meant to happen. Now, there might have been some anger there, there might have even been a fight, but there wasn't an intention to mortally wound. That the individual that committed the offense, that they could run to a city, and these cities were spaced out so that Um, If you knew what to do, that you could get there before someone pursuing you came. That you could get there and you could present your case to an impartial jury, so to speak. To a group of peers that wouldn't play favorites, they would just want the facts and to be presented with what happened. That you would be safe there. That they they had a responsibility to protect you. Um, I don't know why this uh, came to my mind this week, but uh, it always thought to me like, There is a lot of responsibility on this city. They're not just to hear, but they're to protect the one accused of murder, to make sure nothing happens to him. And when you go back, the idea is if something happens to this individual while he is in this city waiting for trial, like the whole city is responsible for his death at that point. Um, It reminded me, I don't know why, but it reminded me a little bit of how you drive in... um, many parts of the world here when we go to pass you the person passing is responsible right for everything that's going on 
in many parts of the world, it's the person being passed that is responsible. Like, hey, if you're the one going slow, then you're also the one that has the responsibility to make sure everyone can get around you. And that's a totally different system. But there are lots of times that I've seen um, close calls because individuals didn't understand who was responsible. But they were the, the point being there that they had a responsibility for life. They had a responsibility to make sure justice was enacted. And it, sometimes it came to the end and it was like, no, you, you were in the wrong and they would hand them over for justice. And other times it was like, no, this was an accident. You need to stay here with us. You, need, you have been found innocent of this. Yeah, it, it was an unfortunate event, but you need to stay here with us. But the point being as a whole that Israel to be, to be a land of justice because Israel was to be different. They were to be different. I told you earlier that you would begin this cycle, that there would be an individual that would die at the hands of another, but it wasn't premeditated, and the kinsman redeemer, the blood avenger would go, and they would strike down that killer, that manslaughter, that committed manslaughter. But then that family, the, the family of the, the manslaughter, the, the killer, they would rise up and say, hey, it was an accident. There was no need for revenge to happen here. There was no need for for him to die as well, and they would rise up, and they would go after the kinsman redeemer, and then something would happen there, and then that family would rise up, and the next thing you know, you got one family fighting another family, and the next thing you know, you got one tribe fighting another tribe, and you went from an accident to a small war. And what God is saying here is you're going to be different. That's not what's going to happen here. You're going to be a land of justice. You're going to be a land of compassion. You're going to be a land where instead of the brutality that is so much seen in the rest of the world, you're going to be a land that's remarkably different in your preservation of life. They were to be noticeably different in how they lived. And really... As we look through all of the law, whether it from Leviticus through Deuteronomy, as we look through all of really even Scripture, one of the defining things that we see, one of the main themes of Scripture is that God's people are different. They're to live different, not just worship differently, not just worship a different God, not just to be different in the songs that we sing or the practices that we have on Sunday morning, but that we are to be different in how we interact with people on a daily basis. We may not wear baskets on our head, but we are to be a little weird. We are to be different. People should think of us and go, yeah, there's just something off there. They forgive differently. They care differently. They listen differently. They help differently. Not just to some people, but to everyone. It's weird. So these cities of refuge were to be part of this idea of Israel being more than just a place that worshipped Yahweh, but to be a place that reflected His glory to the world. So you have, you have that in chapter 20, 
and God's faithfulness to his people there. And then in chapter 21, you have God's faithfulness to be among his people. Not for them just to know his justice, but to know his presence. These cities of promise, these cities of refuge for the people of the tribe of Levi. It was to be an inheritance to it was to be a reminder of their inheritance being God. If you look through the, the books of, of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, one of the things you're going to see said multiple times is that Levi's inheritance is God. Like you'll see a list of, well, the tribe of Judah is going to get this, the tribe of Simeon is going to get this, the tribe of Benjamin is going to get this, the tribe of Manasseh is going to get this, the tribe of Ephraim is going to get this, on and on and on, until you get to Levi, and then it's going to be, and the inheritance of Levi was the Lord. And you're like, okay. And yet, as you look at this, we may look at it and say, well, wouldn't there have been a better way? After all, the Levites were supposed to be this tribe that they were the priests, that served in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. They were the caretakers, kind of the trustees of the the physical property to make sure things got corrected, that things got built, that things got repaired. Wouldn't it have made more sense maybe to have them have a piece of land directly around Shiloh or directly around Jerusalem so that they could protect it, so that they would be close to it? Wouldn't have that been more efficient? Wouldn't it have been more practical? And yet, while we may think that, the Lord is trying to do a different thing here. He's got a different plan. He's got a different thing that he desires to communicate. Again, it goes back to this idea of God being their inheritance. But it wasn't just that the Levites were supposed to see God as their inheritance. It was a reminder that truly God was the inheritance of all of Israel. That the best thing that he had given them was not a new home. The best thing that he had given them was himself. I think about it in terms of my parents. I know this is not everyone's experience, but I had, I had great parents. My mom and dad were awesome. Don't let them know that I said that too much, okay? But they were fantastic, and they gave Lisa and I so much. They gave us a roof over our heads. They gave us food. They gave us clothing. They provided for our education. They provided for just our health and our well-being, and yes, they even provided things just for the sake of entertainment. And yet, the greatest gift is them. Like, if the Lord takes them home before he returns, my sorrow is not going to be that there's no one left to give me things. My sorrow is that I'm not going to have their presence with me on a daily basis. I'm not going to be able to pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, how's the day going? It's not their gifts that I treasure, it's them. In the same way, brother or sister, our treasure lies not in the gifts that God gives us, though they are wonderful. Our treasure lies with him. And yet I think at times, I don't think, I know at times that we as Christians get that mistaken. 
that we desire God's gifts and, our ble- and His blessings more than we desire Him? Do we, do we desire the streets of gold? Do we desire new bodies that don't have disease? Do we desire rest more than we desire His presence? We're to be reminded that our inheritance is not just heaven. That our, that, that would mean nothing if our inheritance wasn't Him. So that's part of it. The second thing that he's trying to communicate is that all of Israel was to be holy. The whole nation, not just one place, not just Jerusalem, not just Shiloh, but the whole country was to be holy. The whole people were to be holy, not just the Levites. Everyone was to be set apart. Everyone was to be different. One of the marks of Christianity is that we don't go back to one place. We don't have a Mecca that we travel to. We don't have that one location that is exalted above the rest. Now, there are times that maybe, maybe some of us as individuals do that. We have desires to go back and travel to places and whatever, but that's not what we see in Scripture. We are to spread out and to not see one place, but to see all of earth as a place for God's glory and His holiness, which leads to the last point. That the Levites were to be among the people, not just in Jerusalem. They were to be among the people, not just in Jerusalem. That the Levites weren't supposed to just gather at Jerusalem and do their work and stay there and congregate and not go out. That they were spread out. When you read the rest of 21, you're going to see that each tribe gives them land, gives them cities to dwell in. They were to be spread out over the whole country. Now, you know, say you're in your house and you notice a little mold on the wall and you're like reading through Leviticus and you're like, how do I apply this? Is that the right color to destroy the whole place or can I just wash it and like let it go? Like instead of having to go all the way to Jerusalem to figure that out, you just go around the street and you're like, hey, Bob, come look at the mold in my house and help me interpret Leviticus here. Okay, that was a little funny, okay? But truly, that was the idea that you had Levites that were your neighbors that were right around you who you could say, I want to know God. I want to know him better. I want to know him deeper. I want to know how to serve him. And rather than having to go to one location that is days away, you can go to your neighbor and say, here's what I'm reading in the text. Help me to understand the word of God. It was neighbor to neighbor. Levites being this people that could help all of Israel to understand God's desire for them. His definition of what it means to be a people group. His value that he had placed on them and the purpose that he had given Israel. Not for them just to be way far away locked in a temple somewhere unaccessible but to be open and available to the people of God for the glory of God this was his faithfulness to Israel 
not to shut himself away from them, but to open himself up to them that they might know him. It was true then, and it's still true today, that God desires in his faithfulness towards us to be among us, that he desires to have us be different so that we might show the glory of God. And it starts with his people and how we act. We should love justice. We should love justice. It should be a mark of who we are. That when people think about us, they think about us as people that are fair. That they think about us that are, that are people of integrity. People that can listen. People that care. I think this is one of the common misperceptions of justice is that it somehow means that we are constantly strict and rigid. But as the New Testament talks about justice over and over again, that we are to care for those who have no voice, that we are to care for those who have no hope, we are to care for those that the world would run over, what we find is that loving justice does not mean a lack of forgiveness and compassion, but rather loving justice is the outward expression of forgiveness, and compassion, and mercy. Justice does not mean just holding the line. It means rescuing those that the world would trample. We should love justice. We should care differently for the orphan and the widow we should care differently for the one caught in generational poverty. We should care differently for the individual who has made bad choices. We should care differently for all people. One of the things that I love about 20, did you notice this? It says in chapter 20 that it is not just for the individual who is a member of Jerusalem, but it says that it is for the sojourner as well. The justice of God in Israel did not just apply to Israelites. It applied to anyone who may be in their presence. You could not make a distinction. Well, they're not one of us, therefore that doesn't apply to them. God says, oh, no, no, no. You're to love justice for all people, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their background, no matter their status. It should be a distinguishing mark of who we are. In the same way, it should be a distinguishing mark that we should love the Lord. This should be elementary. This should almost be like, well, a duh. Like, of course we're to love the Lord. Of course we're to value Him. But... As we talked about with the campers this week, the Lord has done something interesting. He has given us the purpose. He has given us as part of our makeup that we are to enjoy him. We're to enjoy him. Like when he talks to Adam and Eve after he makes them in the garden, he's like, go fill the earth, experience all of it, and make sure you 
have lots of kids so they can experience it too. Why? Because he wants them to enjoy what he has created, what he has said is good, so that in turn they will enjoy him. But too many times, too many times even in my own life, I find that we do not enjoy him. We find him as another box to check off. We find him as something else that we do during the week. But we do not enjoy his presence. We do not enjoy the things that he is doing in our life or the things that he wants to do in our life. If I were to ask your neighbors, or if you were to ask mine, or to ask your coworkers or your family, what do they enjoy? What would be listed? What would be come to their lips? We should love the Lord. We should enjoy Him. And we should desire that others enjoy Him as well. And that means we must be among the people. We must be among the people. There's a reason that God does not call churches to build 15-foot walls around their property. Because we're not meant to stay here. We're meant to go out there. I still remember, I still remember being in a training session for the International Mission Board and sitting there with other missionaries, and there was one lady that had been on the field with her husband for 45 years. And I said, we were talking about relationships between missionaries. And she goes, you know, some of my closest friends, in fact, there are many that I would call my family, are missionaries. They're wonderful people. She goes, but I've learned one thing about missionaries. They're kind of like manure. That's right. They're kind of like manure. If you spread them out, they do a great deal of good and they produce fruit. But if you put them in a pile and keep them in a room for too long, they will stink to heaven. I don't think it's just missionaries. Sometimes I think it's just God's people. It is good that we gather together here and we worship and we rub shoulders with one another and we encourage one another and we challenge one another. And that is good. And we should not, Hebrews says, we should not neglect the gathering together of the saints. In fact, this was something we should look forward to every week. But we are not called to stay here and confine it to a Sunday morning. We're to spread ourselves out just as God spread the Levites out. Word is spread out as well. You come into contact people with people every week that I, I may but be lucky if I come into contact with once a year. God has placed you in a specific place at a specific time to know specific people that you may share his love for them. We are to go and to bear fruit. So my question to you this morning my brother or sister, is do you love his justice? Do you love him? Do you enjoy him? Are you going? Are you helping others to enjoy him as well as they see a life different in you? We're going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response this morning. We're told, we, we talk about this every week, but the Lord speaks to us, 
but a conversation is, should not be one way. We should hear the word of God and we should respond to it. This morning, you may be sitting here and you may just needed a reminder of what he's done for you, of the blessings that he's given you, that you may remember that he is your true inheritance, that he's your blessing, that that we are called to enjoy him. Maybe this morning you needed maybe a reminder that we're to go, to look different, to be different, to share that which we have been given, that we see seeds planted and fruit produced by the Holy Spirit in our family, in our community, and around the world. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship. The message of Christ is simple. He loves you. He sees great value in you. He desires to be faithful to you, and he is inviting you to have a relationship with him if you will just ask. It's not easy. There are times that there are ups and downs, but I can promise you this. It is a grand adventure. If you would seek that this morning, just pray to him. Just ask him, Lord, I need you. I want to follow you. And then come find somebody. We'd love to tell you about what's next. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, we come before you and... Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that our eyes and our ears and our minds would be on you and you alone. Lord, that we would soak in your presence, that we would soak in your glory. Lord, that we would be like that young man this week who is sitting on the grass and he's just overcome by emotion because he's remembering all of the things that you have blessed him with with his family and his church and his friends, and most importantly, with you. Lord, that this morning that we would be overcome by that same emotion, that same mental realization of what you've done in our lives and how you've blessed us. And Father, that we would just grab hold of you in all of your glory and all of your holiness. Lord, that it would change our attitudes and our actions as we go out of this place. Lord, that we would identify, Lord, you have placed me here among people so that I may live differently, so that I may tell them about you, that I may live differently in front of them. Father, I pray that if there's one here that does not know you, Lord, that they would hear this message and that they would know the truth that you desire to live with them, that you desire to give them life and to give them life abundant, or that they can escape the expectations that this world places on us, and that they can know their creator. Father, I pray that there would be one here that would say, I need you. Father, I pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.